six-figure developer podcast the podcast where we talk about new and exciting technologies professional development clean code career advancement and more i'm john calloway i'm clayton hunt and i'm john ash with us today is jerome pasqua jerome is a voice actor musician coder parent husband and senior vp of software for asd.ai welcome jerome hi good to be here guys yeah, so before we jump into the meat of things, would you give our listeners a little bit more of an introduction to yourself? You know, perhaps tell them how you got started in the industry. Sure. Um, I am from uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, after graduating from the University of Kentucky in Lexington, I actually started out with a Y2K consulting company. And that was my job out of, uh, out of college. And they trained me in COBOL. But then when I got to Louisville, there weren't any jobs for COBOL. So I pretty much started out doing VB5, VB6, and uh, learned ASP on the cl- classic ASP at the beginning. And um, since then, um, I've gone to a uh, I- I've gone to an advertising agency and uh, was with a um, another company that was a, a, um, a service another service provider and then got hooked up with a hosting company which was the bulk of my career it was a a uh, microsoft based hosting company called maximum asp and after that uh spent some time in the financial um the financial area and then back to hosting with another hosting company and then into medical devices and then ended up here fantastic uh, what what are you working on these days? Sort of like what's a typical what typical technology stack? What are the typical things that you guys are working with? Right these days, uh, we are building uh, software for the autism community, and specifically, uh, we're building for the caregivers of autistic children and um, autistic individuals, not just children. Our software is um, there are three client parts to it. We have a, uh, we have a mobile device, uh, or, uh, um, I'm sorry, a mobile app, one for Android, one for iOS, and we have a web portal. And um, we are actually building our mobile devices, our mobile applications, I'm sorry. Uh, mobile applications are being built through Flutter. And our, our, uh, our server stack is all Microsoft. Uh, we are hosted in Azure and we are building our web portal you know, using Blazor and uh, .NET 6. Uh, REST APIs are all built using uh, ASP.NET. And, um, and within Azure itself, we are actually using Cosmos database and we are taking advantage of the Azure event grid technology to um, to do several other things that we like to do um, and using some other services. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun and it's uh, it's been really exciting just to pick up on all this stuff um, because what we set out to do was, you know, we set out to to build the software, but what we wanted to do was build it in a serverless uh, technology manner. So Azure was able to to accommodate that the best. Um, plus that hosting company I mentioned before, since it was all Microsoft based, we kind of we kind of gravitate towards the Microsoft stack. 
Yeah, and primarily being .NET developers ourselves, we we certainly uh, appreciate that consideration and, and understanding of going with Microsoft Stack uh, and Microsoft Technologies. Uh, what what is the the name of the application? Uh, the name of the application is called Routines, and it's R O O T I N E S. And the concept there is that uh, when whenever you do things on a daily basis, those are your routines that you have. And a lot of times, um, when we're talking to caregivers, they want to establish routines for people who are on the spectrum. Uh, the routines are established things that they do every day. And it could be something as simple as this is when I brush my teeth every day, or it could be something as complex as, all right, these are the things that we have to do whenever we're preparing to go on a trip. So, you know, routines as small as brushing your teeth all the way up to that and helping the caregiver manage any of the activities that would happen around that time. And you and I synced up uh, late last week and, and talked a little bit about this, and, and I got kind of a little head start on an understanding of the entire application suite and, and some of the early prototypes and, and moving into uh, the the cross-platform or the multiple uh, web or the multiple mobile applications and with all the your uh architectural goodness in, in Azure applications and Azure functions and app insights and Cosmos DB and, and Azure event grid. What, what has been, have there been any particular challenges on getting things up and running or, or has it all been kind of smooth sailing or, or is it been evolutionary or iterative in, in delivering of the software? Right. Definitely hasn't been smooth sailing. I would, I would admit that. Um, but, uh, what we have done is we just started with a very, um, a very simple concept at the beginning. Um, we knew that there were a lot of parents of people on the spectrum out there who were being asked by their therapists or by their doctors and nurses to keep a journal. And we wanted to replace that journal because the journal they were keeping was pen and paper, or it was an Excel spreadsheet, you know, something that was just very manual. So the first idea was, well, what can we do to replace that and make that easier for them? Um, as we started down that road, we, the initial idea was, well, let's put a, a mobile application in their hands. So I jumped into, uh, doing some coding in Swift and, um, there's a guy out there that uh, I, I'm just, I just love his videos on YouTube. His name's Chris Ching. Um, he does a great job of explaining things. So I dove into that and I just started building this application uh, using Swift and quickly found out that, um, you know, not as not only is it just is it so powerful, but um, I wasn't doing things the right way. <laughs> so we were able to bring in some experts to help us out with that. But when we found out, you know, as we started to add features to it and everything like that, we were finding out um, that we weren't quite meeting the needs of who we were who we were trying to code for. Um, so a lot of a lot of challenges were mostly uh, brought to us by our potential users, and it was things like, um, you know, can I can I uh, 
talk about my son's mood. Um, how do I, how do I record his mood during different times of a day? Um, and we have a, a thing in there where we can record a meltdown when that happens. Well, our parents are telling us, well, when the meltdown happens, I can't record that on my mobile device when it's happening. I have to attend to him or I have to attend to her and make sure that uh, that he's taken care of before I can even think about going to the app and writing down, well, he had a meltdown today. So, you know, it was situational things like that and uh, trying to be able to um, to adjust to those things. Um, and then we found out on the technical side of things, you know, we were working with, um, with the realm database on in Swift and, um, not wanting to, not wanting to, uh, to just keep all the data on the device. We wanted to have it out in the cloud somewhere, but also not wanting to sync it up with, um, with, the server side Mongo or uh, with the cloud area Mongo uh, with realm because we wanted to have a nice transition over to the Microsoft stack for that data. Uh, we, we learned some lessons there on, you know, how are we going to um, store all this data that we're, that's coming to us? Um, is it, is it viable to have an app that is um, that is, still operational while it's not connected to the internet, things like that. Um, also working with concepts that were new to me. Um, I think uh, one of the the biggest changes that I was uh, experiencing was I was actually coming from, uh, from .NET 2.0 is all the applications I was working on. And, and the most uh, intricate technology I was using at the time was ASP.NET, but it was the forms, ASP.NET forms. I wasn't doing any MVC uh, or any uh, web API or anything like that or .NET Core. So um, there were a lot of concepts uh, within that that I just wasn't getting, um, especially when it came to building the REST API for that first um, mobile application. So yeah, there were a, a lot of things that were it was just, you know, driven by what it was our user wanting to do. And then what is our leadership team wanting to offer as far as features? How, how were you guys able to kind of capture that user input? Uh, was it just like people screamed loud enough or is that something you guys in, like intentionally went out to, to go capture? And, and how were you able to like arrive to that information gathering discovery? Our leadership, um, the reason they got into this is because they all had friends who had autistic children and were exposed to that. So we were able to put this app in their hands and say, okay, can you try it out? Is this, is this what you guys want? And really having that user who is living that life. Um, and then we even got to meet several of their children and seeing what their needs really were. Um, and, and seeing what was important to the parents. And then also, you know, on the, on the clinical side of things, talking to uh, therapists, uh, one of the, the popular treatments is called ABA. And there are ABA therapists that we've spoken to also to see if we're on the right track. Um, so it was that kind of user input that, that helped us uh, decide what kind of features we wanted to offer. But it also helped shape, you know, it helped shape what the technology decisions that we made. You know, it's like, um, well, this data that we're having, 
Um, we're really just going to write it once. We're not updating anything. It's write it and then put it away. So, you know, the, a, a NoSQL database was perfect for that. Um, and part of it was, you know, it's a technology I wanted to learn and, and my, uh, my other developers wanted to learn that too. Um, so that we wanted to stay as modern on the technology side of things as we could. Uh, speaking of modern technologies, uh, one of the ones you listed uh, earlier while you were going through the different things that you use uh, was Blazor. How, how have you been finding that and what have you been using that for? Uh, Blazor has been really cool. So we use that for our web interface, our web portal. And um, that actually positions us uh, kind of uniquely for, uh, for this area because um, what, what it actually lets us do is it gets us into the therapist's office and gives them a tool that they can use at their desk. Now, Blazor itself has been, um, has been an eye opener for me. Uh, and what I did was, uh, you know, I was more of the software architect of this. So I didn't really know the intricacies of Blazor, but because the development team that I have was very good with Blazor, they were able to build it up in the right way. And I, and allowed me to look over their shoulders, you know, virtually look over their shoulders, but uh, look over their shoulders and see how this was built and then um, see how Blazor actually worked. And I found Blazor to be, uh, you know, this was everything that I wanted with uh, ASP.NET forms, um, the modularity specifically of that. And, uh, you know, just being able to, being able to componentize everything. So, uh, we had like, you know, uh, we have picture like the portal for Azure where you have all the different, uh, cards on the dashboard and you can move those things around. So that's the kind of thing we want to do. Um, and it's, you know, it allows us to build one kind of card and then use that as like the base component for everything but it made it really easy to inherit that thing and then spit out. I think we have 11 different, uh, 11 different cards that we can put out there. And each one of them is, it's very distinct, but you know, it all, it all goes back to that base class of it. And, and really each, each of those cards was so easy to build. It was, it's ridiculous how easy it was and, and how easy it is to style it. Um, we even used a, uh, we used Celeric for our, uh, for our UI. Uh, so with the combination of that and uh, sitting on top of Blazor, it made the, it made the front end build of that thing really easy. And then uh, being able to tie the back end into it was just a no brainer. It was, that was very simple. And I, I thought the way that you do it in blazer versus the way I was doing it before with .NET forms was just, you know, so much, so much better, such an improvement. So there's been, uh, there's been no regrets. Has there been anything that, that kind of caught you off guard that you had to deal with or, or has it been, just a real smooth experience. I know you said your developers had had some, I guess, prior experience. Yeah, yeah, they that was that was a big help. Um, really, the the biggest hurdle was trying to understand the concept of using um, the UI framework with Blazor, even though the the UI framework we were using was made just for Blazor. Uh, I wasn't quite sure how um, how we wanted to tie that in. But the guys did a fantastic job of doing that and and did their homework. 
uh, that was probably the biggest learning curve that they had um, because only one out of my five developers had experience with uh, with that framework. But but no regrets or regrets. <laughs> no regrets. No no regrets or regrets. And um, I think so far so good. You know, um, you kind of just jump into these decisions and say, "All right, we got to move on something." And um, so far, so good. It's doing all these technologies are doing exactly what we need. So Blazor was was the right fit. Um, Telerik was the right fit. And so far, um, Cosmos DB has been the right fit. So it sounds like ASD AI is is relatively small, relatively nimble, uh, able to uh, iterate very, very quickly and and get to market quickly and showing its users value in a, a mobile client for them, for the, the parents and the, the loved ones of those dealing with autism or, or with autistic individuals. And it sounds like the, the web components are, you had mentioned in office or, or at a desk and that type of thing. Do you have differing client bases that you're dealing with and, and differing aspects that you're delivering different features to people, different consumers? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. Um, so our mobile application is geared more for the actual caregiver who sees the child every day. Um, and we're able to put that application in the hands of the parents or in the hands of grandma, you know, because sometimes grandma will be babysitting and uh, the parents will say, you know, if, um, if little guy has a, has a meltdown that day, I want you to use this app to tell us about it. Or, um, you know, if he takes a nap, just enter it into this app, let us know how long he slept. Or if he had, you know, if he, if he did a good job drinking his juice today, let us know about that. So the app, um, I have a, to make a, a big shout out to our UI designers because uh, that was a, a big component of it. We wanted to make this easy enough so that we had people who were not as tech savvy be able to know how to work this thing, but also be friendly enough to the uh, to the tech to the tech savvy person that they could figure out how to how to do things themselves and how to tailor things to their needs. And then um, when this started to open up to the facility side of things, so what I mean by that is the clinicians and the hospitals, um, we found out that they had different needs to it. So their needs were more like, you know, well, we want to run, we want to run uh, behavioral reports on, uh, on our patient we want to know what they've been eating over the past three months or show me how their medication has been working or not working over the past six or seven weeks and, and show me any, any kinds of, um, any kinds of reactions that could have happened with this medication. Did it make them eat less? Uh, did it really pick up their moods? Did it make them feel more sad? Um, but the biggest moving target, I, I guess, with this app is the, uh, the autistic individual themselves. Um, the saying out there goes, if you've met one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. Um, each case that you see is so, uh, it's so different. And their therapists act, 
ask them to record different things just depending on what that child needs. And a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll, we'll run into one child that we need to, we need to monitor their sleep because they're not getting enough sleep, but then maybe another child, they don't track that, uh, for that other child, it's a weight thing, you know, because he doesn't want to eat. So why is his weight keep going down? Is that part of his, is that part of his struggles that he's having? So, um, you know, we run into that. Um, and the biggest challenge, uh, from, from our vantage point anyway, is, is answering the question. All right. When that child reaches the age of 18, will they still need an app like this? And if they do, how can we, how can we put something out there that they are comfortable using? And that is actually useful and valuable to them. You kind of went into this a little bit uh, with talking about how the doctors can, can t- and, and therapists and whatnot can use this information to understand better uh, individual cases. Is, what, what are the other things that you're learning from the data that, that you're getting? Are you, have, have you been able to, to learn, learn other things for, from like general trends or anything like that? Um, not yet, not with the data sets that we've gotten so far because they've only been, um, they've only been small pockets. And, uh, you know, for, for a lot of kids, um, it's things that the parents already suspected, you know, there are, there are issues with, um, with behavior at school having to do with sleep or, um, you know, one thing that we were wondering about is, you know, the diet. Well, some kids are eating too much junk food, you know, or screen time. Screen time is another thing that, uh, that parents often talk about. But, um, I think the biggest lesson that we've learned as far as that goes is that this is such a moving target that the, on, on the clinical side of things, a lot of the, the treatments are educated guesses. They're good educated guesses. Um, but a lot of times, you know, they're, they're just treating the symptoms, you know, and, you know, that's, that's what they're being asked to do, but it's not like there is a, a medication out there or a specific treatment that says, all right, this is how you treat autism. Uh, That, that just doesn't happen that way. Um, but is our, you know, is our tool able to maybe help move the needle a little bit to get towards something like that? Uh, I would, I would like to think that we would have something to do with that. And, um, you know, that could be part of the success. Uh, one of the things that, uh, that came out of this was also, um, something called medication compliance. So a lot of pharmaceutical companies and, uh, a lot of physicians that we've talked to talked about, you know, when the patient is on the medication, um, are they taking the medication all the time and are they realizing the benefits of it? And, um, you know, what is our ability to, to, uh, to medicate this patient and get the, the required result? Do, do we know enough about that? So trying to help the doctors and, and, uh, the clinicians see if their medications are working, uh, and making sure that the person is taking their medications whenever they should. And if they go off the medications, are we going to see a different 
behavior or are we going to see uh, you know a different trend in hydration or even bowel movement stuff like that have you have you guys looked into uh, I'm, I'm assuming that right now m- much of this data is basically coming into it because you know the caregiver is basically able to um you know has to enter it basically they, they have to enter it in uh is there any ways or have you looked into ways of you know pulling some of the state as we get smarter homes smarter um instruments and um you know things like screen time and whatnot where we you could perhaps like start pulling this information away from the the other native uh iot <laughs> items effectively uh um, and just like smart devices that we have um, to get some of that information. You talked about sleep. I know there's a lot of different like sleep monitoring devices and, and those sorts of things. But have you, have you had any uh, success or thought to like move in that direction of being able to grab that information? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, what we're looking at right now, um, one, of our, one of our leadership people is really big on how much can we bring in passive data as as opposed to active as opposed to actively entered data so we have a um, we have our first integration we wanted to start small and start easy so we wanted to do a smart scale so we could capture the weight we actually had a hospital tell us um, a hospital with their autism department tell us we just want to know how much each kid weighs right now because their weight is fluctuating. So is that something that we can pull? So we decided, all right, let's start small and do that. But um, we had our eye on, on several things, you know, the Fitbit, the Apple watch are things that come to mind because of the type of data you can get. So those are definitely on our radar. Um, One of our other founders, Dominic Foster, he, it was his original idea because he uses um, whoop, he uses that device and it um, it pulls in information like uh, heart rate, um, resting heart rate of uh, what is it called? The the oxygen in your that you're bringing in your breath. Oh, two levels. Yeah. But the biggest one in there right now is the the heart rate variability statistics. So in elite athletes, um, they are able to kind of predict where heart rate variability is is like you know you might have an injury today because of the heart rate variability so maybe today instead of um instead of weight training today we do cardio and low impact cardio so you know if you take that concept and introduce it to um to the autism spectrum what kinds of things can we predict from heart rate variability so, you know, technologies like Fitbit, Whoop, well, Whoop doesn't actually offer an API is what we found out, but, um, but Fitbit and Apple Watch and um, another company called Withings, um, that's who we're doing the, uh, the weight, the, uh, yeah, the smart scale. And we're also using their sleep sensor for our next release. Um, so we're looking at their sleep sensor, uh, to capture that kind of data, but we're also looking outside. Um, I had one parent, uh, actually a friend of mine, uh, his, one of his sons is on the spectrum and his sleep is affected by the moon phases. So we can pull in data 
from the moon phases and make correlations with the phases of the moon, with barometric pressure, with temperature, um, and you know things like that. Uh, that's correlative data is really going to be important for this, and um, actually part of our next release and the next and the release after that on our roadmap. Yeah, I got to think that there, there's got to be just a wealth of options and possibilities out there. I'm thinking, what can you learn from pred- predictive analysis of the data that you have collected, are collecting? I, I imagine, like you, you mentioned, though, you, you are having to partner with uh, with health care facilities and with parents and, and, and caregivers to find out what is the next most important thing. What are the things that would affect people's lives. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things that, of course, the medical field is looking for is integration with their electronic medical records, um, the EMR piece of things. And of course, you know, that's that's yet another bullet point on our roadmap um, is offering some kind of integration with the EMR systems, which brings in a, a host of other um other challenges, if you will, uh, you know, both legal and, um, and medical, all that kinds of stuff. But I'm working with a team that has expertise in all of that. So, uh, we're, we're really excited about, about those challenges. And frankly, you know, routines could have been applied to any, um, to any diagnosis out there. It could have been for, it could have been for diabetics. It could have been for, um, someone with dyslexia, but, uh, we picked autism because we wanted to start out with the most difficult one. It's the, it's the hardest to, it's the hardest to kind of reel in and understand because of how different, uh, each person is and how different their autism presents for each one. And we want to be very aware of those things. We want to be extremely respectful of that too and offer something out there for them to use that, you know, helps their clinicians understand. So two, two things. Um, uh, one, how, how can people get involved or get, um, start using this application is, you know, how, how do they start, you know, they're there, they have, you're dealing with the uh, people that they know that are on the spectrum there and they're trying to get some solution. Is that something they have to go to the doctor or is this, they just go directly to you guys or, you know, wh- what's the plan there? And then it sounds like you guys got a lot on, on your bullet list yeah. to tackle. <laughs> are you guys growing and are you guys looking for people for developers to be getting involved or. So what's happening is that, um, we are we are kind of relying on uh, on contractors to just to control the costs of development right now. Um, our Our strategy with that is more or less let's let's build it and see who's going to get it. So the for people out there looking for the app, it will be on the uh, the Google Play Store and it will be on on uh, Apple's uh, app store. Uh, what is out there right now is downloadable. It was our first attempt and it was a, it was a decent attempt and um, it was our, you know, only customer focused kind of thing. And then when we 
started to to bring in the clinician side, the clinical side of things, um, we decided, all right, we're just going to sunset. Um, we're going to sunset routines that's in the Apple store right now and then introduce something uh, hopefully coming in the next four to six weeks. So, um, you know, I say four to six weeks and you guys realize that's the next two or three sprints. <laughs> uh, so uh, it's it's that close and we're really excited about it. Um, and, but, um, you know, it's it's a little bit controversial sometimes because we are using mostly offshore um, contractors. But, uh, you know, when you are working with people from uh, places like Toptal or Upwork, um, if you, if you do your homework, there's this huge pool of talented, talented people. And we've had, we've had several, um, we've had several good applicants come through and we feel like we've really selected some of the, the elite ones out there, especially when it comes to some technologies that are so new out there, like flutter. Um, when we looked around Louisville, you know, this is what we did first was look around here and see who's doing it. And there's not really that many people who are doing it or advertising the fact that they are. So we had to go out there to Upwork. And I mean, we were fortunate enough to to land a really great team. Um, and, uh, you know, one of our we have two seniors and uh, and three. Um, well, three others. <laughs> they're not really junior developers, but they're, they're pretty experienced. But our two seniors, one of them is in Lagos, Nigeria. And the other one is in um, Montevideo, Uruguay. And the, the lady in Uruguay, she brought a team of three other developers with her. And so that's our entire team that's building Flutter right now. And it's been, you know, it's a, a bit of a challenge on the clock trying to get into meetings and meet with people, but because of all of the different, um, all the different communication technologies, especially teams, you know, um, being to use, being able to use that Slack type environment helps us communicate so much better. And, um, you know, the daily standups still take place. Um, but it, it's those teams that are really knocking this out of the park for us. Um, and the other the other way that we see people getting involved with this is, you know, asking hospitals and and their autism facilities, you know, look into this because we're really building it for them. And our idea is, all right, we're going to come into your facility. We're going to come into your clinic and say, what kinds of questions do you want to ask your parents and your uh, your the parents of your patients what kinds of things do you need and the way that we're using our the way that we've we're using blazer and the way that we've built our back end of this thing and especially with the event grid a lot of these things happen really fast so an entry option we could probably get an entry option out to a hospital like a new entry option out there within two two sprints it would be out there live. So, you know, that's really exciting to me. Um, and just the wealth of knowledge uh, that we could give them. Um, and I think the biggest need that they're seeing out there is I want better information from my parents and from my patient uh, before they come in for their appointment, you know, and, and getting more up to date information and more uh, um, a, a bigger breadth of data 
before the appointment, that's that's going to be huge for them. I guess we talked about a number of different technologies um, today. As there were there any resources that you ran across while you were uh, digging into these that you know our listeners might uh, also find useful? Um, we mentioned Flutter, Blazor, um, Cosmos DB. Any of those things that you found? Hey, these might be some really good use resources for them for people. I know it's kind of put you in the spot a little bit, but. Yeah, um, there were a lot, really. Uh, I used to have uh, with my with my former life. I used to have a subscription to um, O'Reilly to all of their Safari online stuff. Uh, that used to be my favorite thing to go to, but it's it's quite expensive. But the wealth of information out there, just um, on YouTube, of course, is going to be it's going to be big if you find if you can find quality ones now. Um, I think the thing that has helped me the most was actually Twitter because I went out to Twitter and I'm following, um, I'm following people who are, um, Microsoft MVPs like, <laughs> uh, and other people who are using the technology all the time, uh, including, you know, friends that I've worked with before that I really respect. Um, and, and you know, knowing what they are up to and seeing what kinds of things that, what kinds of people they're following. And, um, for example, Chris Ching, uh, his stuff, I, I came across his stuff because somebody posted that they were uh, doing some really cool things in Swift and here was a tutorial. So I went to that and I'm like, wow, this is, this guy's great. You know, had a teaching style that I really liked. Um, but mostly, yeah, it was, uh, it's just through that kind of, that kind of word of mouth. Um, the event grid thing, we kind of stumbled across that because, um, oh gosh, what's his name? Scott Hanselman posted something about it. And I'm thinking, oh, this could work. You know, if we wanted to, if we wanted to tie in, um, our messaging system, or if we wanted to do something with our notifications, uh, that would be something where we could do it serverlessly and have Azure functions on both ends of the grid. So we were, you know, it's, it's a lot of word of mouth on Twitter. I, I was really a fan of that. I do more reading than posting on Twitter, but yeah. Uh, what has been helpful in your career that you might share with those just getting started or those looking to level up their own careers? Um, well, it was mostly a lesson learned. Um, when I was, uh, when I was at the hosting company, like I said, we got all the way up to doing, uh, ASP.NET forms applications. And I guess I, we were up to ASP.NET two dot something or, and .NET four dot something. I don't know. I can't remember what it was. Um, and I, I got tired of, I got tired of coding. So they turned me into a hosting solutions architect where I was dealing with, um, you know, just putting together hosting solutions for customers. And then my, my next job after that was actually with cold fusion. So working for a financial company using cold fusion, uh, against, uh, against an Oracle database. And, uh, that was actually very, um, that was very educational because that's a technology that has been around for years and hasn't really been updated that much or not significantly, but, um, still a very viable technology. And what I found out was, you know, doing all these things and getting behind the times on .NET 
was um, was not where I wanted to be. But it's really if you put the work in and, and you do um, you do your due diligence in learning these things, it's it, it really easy concepts to uh, to pick up. For example, um, I was telling John, it was only about two or three weeks ago when I finally understood what dependency injection was. And I finally understood why, uh, why unit testing is such a needful thing and why it's so important and how to use mocked interfaces, uh, when I'm doing my testing. And my friend Phil had told me about this, you know, like two years ago and he was doing all of this and it comes so easily to him. And I'm like, all right, I'll just follow your template and, and code things after that. But really understanding it only came to me about a couple of weeks ago. And I'm just like, I should have been doing this the whole time. But, uh, you know, it, it just never occurred to me that this would actually make my end product and make all my software better. Um, so just keep learning. I mean, and, and not being afraid to learn while on the job. Um, that's one thing I told my contractors. I'm like, you know, I'm going to throw some new technologies at you, but I don't want you to be afraid to learn. I don't want you to be coming in here thinking you're just going to use some kind of software and not get any better at your craft. Um, and really I wanted to bring in developers who viewed this as a craft and viewed this as an opportunity to get better. So, um, hopefully I've delivered on that, uh, for my, uh, for my people. And, um, so that, and I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm not immune to that. I don't know everything and I'm just, uh, I'm just learning here too, but it's, it's really exciting to be able to have that aha moment again. Yeah, that is, that is one of my favorite parts of programming when, when you've been working with something and maybe you've been using it, but you didn't fully understand it and it finally clicks and you're just like, what have I been doing with my life? Exactly. <laughs> 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 yeah. And hopefully I can start understanding how to do, uh, how to make all these asynchronous calls correctly. <laughs> Great stuff. So wh- where can our listeners to go follow you, follow routines, uh, and keep up, up with what you're working on? Uh, I'm most active on, um, <laughs> where am I most active on? <laughs> Uh, I'm most active on Instagram, actually, but <laughs> you're nerdy dad on Instagram. I, I don't post anything coding related there. That's all just silly stuff. But uh, uh, every once in a while, I will I will have things on Twitter. And uh, my Twitter handle is at Jerome Pasqua, J-E-R-O-M-E-P-A-S-C-U-A. Um, and then just keeping up with our our app and how it's going on uh, uh, routines.app. Or um, with our company, because we know that routines is not going to be the only thing that we want to offer out there. So uh, at ASD.AI, we do want to start getting into things like um, like machine learning algorithms and, and being able to do predictive analytics like that. Another reason why we wanted to use Azure because of the, the machine learning capabilities. Um, yeah. So that's that's really the big places where I where I can be found. Well, Jerome, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today. This has been great. It sounds like you and team are doing great stuff and continuing to to learn and grow and and make the world a better place for all of us. My pleasure, guys. It's uh, it's been great. That was Jerome Pasqua. Jerome is a voice actor, musician, coder, parent, husband, and senior VP of software for ASD AI.
If you like this episode, please like, rate, and review on iTunes. Find show notes, blog posts, and more at sixfiguredev.com. And catch us live each week on Twitch. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at SixFigureDev. This has been another episode of the Six Figure Developer Podcast, helping others reach their potential. I'm John Calloway. I'm Clayton Hunt. And I'm John Ash. Ah!